Today we're going to be finishing up uh, this sermon series that we started talking about the battle. But church, before, before we do that, I, I want to tell you something that's been really laid heavy on my heart. Um, and, and I want to share it with you. God really, he woke me up about 2 a.m. this morning and, and I just felt this stuff coming into my mind. And uh, I want to share something with you first is um, uh, Mary and I are expecting, <laughs> not a baby, <laughs> but what we're, yeah, I wish, <laughs> but what we're expecting and what I'm expecting is God's going to do something, church. He really is. Listen to me for a minute. The, the, the definition of expecting is this, to think that something will or certainly happen and looking forward to it. So this morning, church, I ask you, what are you expecting? As you come into church today, are you expecting the same old thing? Are you coming to church because this is just what you've always done? Or are you coming expecting God to do something? Because I want to tell you, he wants to do something. He wants to do something in the hearts and minds of his people. He wants to do something in his church. But we have to come expecting I remember the first time when I was told that, that my wife was pregnant, all this excitement and joy that came over me as a 25-year-old man, and I was thrilled in that feeling of saying, man, there's something good coming, and just this joy and all this excitement. So this morning, church, what I want to convey to you is we should be excited. We should be expecting that God's going to do something, not just in his church, but in ourselves, in our personal lives, in our hearts and our minds. So I wanted to share that with you. And man, do I wish I could tell you we were having a baby, but that ain't the case. I'm expecting God to do something great. So as we finish up this sermon series entitled The Battle for this month, today we're going to be talking about our anxious mind. And we told you the whole month of October that the, the, in the battle, we know that most of life's battles are won and lost in our minds. In church, it is impossible, absolutely impossible to have a positive life when we have a negative mind. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 17, it says this to us, and I want to read this to you. It says, you will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out and face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Church, I don't know about you, but I personally, I have a mind that, that races. And, and, and a lot of times my mind will race with negative thoughts and, and irrational fears. And I don't know if you have that same mind that, that I do. And, and if you do, I want to ask you this morning, what is it for you? What is it for you that sets your, your mind on that path of, of, of fear and irrational worries in, in your life? And it's been something that I've struggled with like almost my whole life. I remember sitting in high school one time I had a teacher tell me, I'm not naming names, but this teacher told me, he said, you're never going to amount to anything unless you get good grades. And my grades weren't good, I'll be honest. I went to school for the social, not the educational. And my mind started racing. And suddenly I'm thinking, all right, if I'm not getting good grades, that means I can't go to college. If I can't go to college, how am I going to meet the, the, the girl of my dreams? And, and then if I don't have a good job, then no girl's going to want to marry me. So I have to settle for a certain girl. And then we're going to have kids. And, and the kids, they're going to struggle because we ain't going to have money to, to raise the kids. And they're going to need braces. And if I got to pay all that money for braces, then how am I going to do it? Because I can't pay for their college and their braces because I'm still paying off my own student loans. And you know what? They're probably going to end up in prison anyways. And I've got a headache and I must have a brain tumor. That's how my mind works sometimes, irrational. 
Maybe you have that same mind, church. In Philippians chapter 4, if you'll look at this with me. In Philippians chapter 4, I want you to look with me at verses 6 and 7. And, and this is Paul speaking. I want to remind you where he was writing this. He's rotting in a Roman prison when he wrote this. And he said this, Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the, God, uh, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. Now, church, listen to me. The, the very first line I read to you in, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, he said, do not be anxious about anything. Now, what we all like to do is we like to rationalize, don't we? We really do. Like, well, God made me. He knows me. He knows my mind races. So everybody else, you shouldn't be anxious, but I got to get out of jail free card because God knows I'm anxious. That's not what he's saying here. Paul was saying, don't be anxious about anything. Doesn't matter what you're going on in your life. You don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, he said. It doesn't mean that if it's a small situation, all right, you don't have to worry. But even in the big situations, it says, give it to God in prayer. And he says, if you look with me at Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9, he says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Church, today, I want you to get some peace. <laughs> I, want, I want you to get yourself some peace. How many of you, you, you just want some peace? Maybe you've got a, a wild household because you've got a lot of teenagers or grandkids, whatever it might be, and, and your house is crazy, and, and you want some peace. I remember growing up all the time, my mom would be like, I just want five minutes of peace. That's a, is that too much to ask? Just five minutes of peace. And she probably needed it, I'll be honest with you. But how many of you want some peace? See, Today we're talking about worry, we're talking about anxiety, and we're talking about our minds. And I want to remind you, church, that your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. So which way are you heading this morning? Which way are you heading this morning? You know, church, God is the God of science. He really is. God created science. The, the, the world's scientists, a lot of them have hijacked God and made up a lot of wild stuff out there. But God is the author of science. He created us. He created everything. So he is the one who has the say in all these things. So, so God is a God of science. And so in our brains, church, what he did is he created this small little part of your brain. And what it's called, it's shaped like an almond. It's called the amygdala. And see, it's the part of the brain that's wired for survival. It's wired for survival. And it's kind of like that, that fight or flight. You know what I'm talking about? It instantly kicks in. So the amygdala kicks in and it releases thoughts. And it tells you when something wild's going on, it's saying, you know what? Be careful. Be careful. You, you, you got to be on guard. You know, run if you have to. That's what the amygdala does. And so imagine this. Imagine if you see a poisonous snake or for some of you, any snake whatsoever. You, you, you freak out and the amygdala tells you to run. 
It tells you to run. So that's what that does. And so if you have an alarm system in your home, right, and in the middle of the night it goes off, the amygdala tells you, like, hey, you've got something going on. It kicks in and it tells you, you know, you got to be careful, you're in danger, whatever might be going on. But see, the amygdala is hardwired to protect. But here's the problem with it. The problem is it's not objective, and it's easily triggered. For some of us, it's crazy easily triggered. I want to share a story with you. I know some of you heard before, but it's worth sharing and tying it into this. Again, when I was a kid, I had an issue with a dog. And so this dog like was coming after me. He's trying to get my throat legit. Now, if you ask anybody in my family, it was, a, it was a decent-sized dog. Now it's a little chihuahua. That's how they tell the story. The story always gets better in families, right? But this dog was trying to get my throat, and finally my brother got it off me. But you know what happened? I'm triggered now. Anybody touches my neck? <laughs> my doctor touches my neck. I don't like it. My kids touch my neck. I don't like it. And I, can't, I feel like I can't breathe. Now, that's my amygdala telling me that I panic and saying, you can't breathe. Someone's touching your neck. And, and I'm one of those guys, I, I react in a horrible way. Like, I, I might come swinging at you if you touch my neck. Please don't do it. I'm not kidding. <laughs> but see, when this happens and, and somebody touches my neck, whether it's just they barely touch it or whatever, I mean, it sends me, it triggers me. I mean, like, I want to lay hands on them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and I can't take it. And we get triggered, see? But there's another part of the brain that I'm thankful for. I'm very thankful for the other part of the brain. It's called the prefrontal cortex. And what it is, it's like that logical side of your brain. It's the logical side of your brain, and, and it tends to think logically. You know, there's a noise in your house at night. The alarm goes off. You're just like, oh, it's just probably the dog. You, you know, it, you don't panic. See, the amygdala is all panic. The prefrontal is all logic. But the problem is the amygdala responds to pre-programming. Those neural pathways that we have, we've talked about that this whole month. That's what it responds to. It, 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 it's what triggers you. So if you have experiences, church, where you know, anybody does something to you, maybe you have a situation in your life, someone hurt you, maybe you've got some fear, you've got some trauma, or maybe even a misunderstanding between you and somebody else in, in your life, people, places, events, it doesn't matter what it is, it, you're triggered and your mind will race and it will run to the worst case scenario. And you find yourself completely overwhelmed, panicking, maybe even short of breath. And this is that runaway mind. Well, in Philippians chapter 4, I want you to hear again what it says. It says, do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And I'm asking you this morning, church, in your mind, what is it that triggers you? What is it that, that causes this anxiousness in your life? What is it exactly that, that you're struggling with? Because you know what, church? If it's on your mind, it's on God's heart. Your heavenly father loves you so much. If it's on your mind, it's on his heart. Because he cares for you. So what we do is it says right there, it says, but in every situation... In every situation, by prayer and, and petition. But you know what we like to do? 
Instead of presenting our request to God, we like to go to our coworkers at work and say, hey, let me tell you about this. Right? Or, or maybe you go to your spouse and let me tell you about this. Or we all have that one person that you can go to. You know they'll tell you exactly what you want to hear. We love to go to that person, don't we? And you go to them, but the Bible tells us that, that we, in every situation, by prayer and petition and thanksgiving, you present your requests to God. You know what, church? And then it goes on to tell us, and his peace will guard your mind. His peace will guard your mind. Have you ever had that peace from God? I'm talking about like, it feels like God touched you and it just comes over you where you're like, man, it's gonna be okay. It doesn't matter what the situation is, it's gonna be all right and and I can feel his presence and man, I felt that before, church. It's a wonderful feeling. It guards your heart, it guards your mind, it guards everything that you need, that peace. And you're like, God, I don't know how you're gonna do it. I don't know how it's gonna work out, but man, thank you for the peace. It's gonna be okay. But you know what, even Christians, you know what we do is we discount the power of prayer. Man, I've seen it, church. I've done it myself. We, we think that we're capable. I'm just gonna work harder. I'm just gonna work better. I'm just gonna re, be persistent and, and, and I know it's gonna work out. What we, what we do is we discount that power of prayer. And man, I've heard it said so many times where people be like, well, all we can do now is pray. We've done everything else. Now all we can do is pray. And could you imagine God sitting on the throne looking down and hearing us say that. And he's like, really? You're gonna discount me that much? That I'm the last resort? I'm the last resort? That, that there's nothing else that can be done except for just praying to me? You know, the, the God that can heal the sick, right, church? The God that can move mountains? The God that can raise the dead who, who caused the blind to see? That God right there, he can do these things. So why do we save it for last to pray to him? Church, prayer is powerful. Listen to me this morning. It's really, really powerful. But it's not the last line of defense. It's the first line of offense. That's what it is. It's the very first line of offense. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, it says this. It says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Church, listen, you can go to him boldly. You don't have to sit there and say, oh, man, I don't want to ask him again. He wants you to bring this to him. Always with my boys, many, many times in their life, I know what they need, but you know what? I want them to ask me. I know exactly what they need. I could, hey, hey, here, you need this, take this. But you know what I want? I want them to ask me. I, I want them to come to me. You know why? Because I'm their father. I, I'm their dad, and I want them to be able to come to me. And, and man, what a great feeling it is. I know <laughs> you always hear these old man stories like, you'll miss it someday. Man, you do. But where they'll come to you and say, hey, I need this, or I need help with this, or can, can you help me figure this out? And you know what, church? I can't imagine how our Heavenly Father feels when we won't bring it to Him. I know what it makes me feel like when my boys won't bring something to me, but I can't even fathom 
what our Heavenly Father feels like when we won't bring it to Him. But we can come boldly in to help, for, to find help in our time of need. Each and every one of us, we can. And James said this, you do not have because you have not asked. And so I ask you, church, have you prayed about it? Have you prayed about it? Not only does prayer move God's heart, prayer moves the heart of God, it really does, because you're speaking to him. But I just learned not too long ago, but prayer also changes the chemistry of your brain. Prayer changes the chemistry of your brain. So for decades, experts said that your brain doesn't change anymore after adolescence. So when you're in your adolescent stage, your brain ain't growing no more. That's what experts you say. And I don't even know what makes them experts. I don't know if you can just one day wake up and say, hey, I'm an expert. And so I'm going to tell you this. No, but they say that's exactly how it has. But you know what? I thank God in heaven that my brain has changed since I was 15 years old. You wouldn't want me up here. I promise you that right now. The way I thought, the, 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 the way I did things, man, it was crazy. So I'm thankful that my brain has graduated and moved on and continued to grow. And, the, and the, the brain is constantly changing and growing and rewiring. There's something I learned about this. This was just a short time ago. It's called neurotheology. Now hear me out for a minute. It's the study of the brain and God. It's the studies of the relationship between the brain and the belief in our Heavenly Father. It's a very real thing. And so prayer actually changes your brain. A lady by the name of Dr. Carolyn Leith, she says this. I'm quoting her. It has been found that 12 minutes of daily focused prayer over an eight-week period can change the brain to such an extent that it can be measured on a brain scan. Think about that, church. God is the God of science. He is the one that created all these things. And so just as toxic and negative thoughts harms your brain, as it harms your brain, prayer heals your brain. It heals your brain and it transforms your brain. So it literally renews your mind. Literally will renew your mind. So why do we worry? Why do we worry? Why do we work overtime in always being anxious? So if we are as Christians, if we as Christians, when we find ourselves worrying and panicking, what do we do? Well, let me tell you what caused it. It's called the amygdala hijack. You start thinking, right? You start thinking and, and, and that, you know, I, I better take control. I, I better start working harder. and I better stay up later worrying about this. You know, that's that hijack thing that's going on. And, and what happens is it's only getting worse for you. But scientists will say that you're suffering from the amygdala hijack. But the Bible says this. The Bible will say your mind is dominated by sinful thinking. Your mind is dominated by sinful thinking. Here's the, the, the idea of worrying is this. Worrying is this. It's the sin of distrusting the promises and the power of God. That's heavy. Worrying is the sin of distrusting the promises and the power of God. It's like you sitting there saying, God, I don't trust you. I don't trust you. I don't believe in your goodness in this situation. It's like saying, I don't believe that you care about what I care about. I don't believe that you're going to come through. And ultimately, I have to worry because I just don't trust you. It's just like saying that, church. So instead of letting our sinful nature control our minds, and that can easily happen, 
It can easily happen. So as a follower of Jesus Christ, I'll tell you what I want to do personally. As a follower of Jesus Christ, I want to choose to let the Holy Spirit who dwells in me direct my thinking. So I'm going to let the logical part of my brain choose that which is spiritual. The logical part is going to choose what is spiritual. And so prefrontal, think about what is true. I'm going to let the prefrontal think about what is praiseworthy, what is trustworthy. Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 8, it says this. Man, this one's this one slapped me in the face. Listen to it. It says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. So if you're living in the flesh, meaning you're relying on yourself, you're counting yourself, you're, you're living in your sinful nature, you're always like, well, I gotta handle this, I can do it. You'll worry all day long. But it says there, but those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires, which means you rely on God. But check out the rest of it. It says the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Man, that slapped me hard. It hit me. Because I'm worrying. So the biblical point of view to all that is taking your thoughts captive. We've talked about that, right? You start thinking something, you're like, oh, no. You grab hold of that and say, I, I can't do that. I can't let my mind go there. So we'll let that prefrontal grab the amygdala by the tail and say, you stop being irrational. I'm deciding I am going to follow God's lead. I am going to listen to what he wants. And so when your thoughts run wild, you grab a hold of that church. You grab a hold of it and you subdue it. Don't let your sinful ways and non-trusting attitude run your life. We can't afford it. See, we can't afford that. We all have something that we worry about, don't we? Every single one of us, you're going to be honest. Don't lie in church. Don't lie to yourself even. We all have things that we, we worry about. You know, you take your concerns, church. You take your worries. You take your burdens and you give it to God. And you're like, God, I trust that you're going to do something with this. So you take whatever that is in your life and you give it to God. And you say, Lord, I want you to take care of this for me. I want you to handle this. And so you know what we do, church, is we wait. And then all of a sudden you're like, you know what? I gave it to him, but he isn't doing anything. It's been five minutes, so I'm taking it back. We laugh about that, but it's true. We don't want to wait on him to do something. So you freak out and you take it back and you're like, God, I don't trust you. So, so I'm taking it back. I'm going to do it. Lord, I know exactly what I want. I know exactly what I need. I'm the one that can handle this. I'm the one that can control this. And God is looking at you and saying, you silly little boy, you silly little girl. I created you. I know you in and out. I know the future. I know the beginning and the end. And I know what's best for you. So why do we do this, church? It's because your God is too small and your worries are too big. Man, that hurts too, doesn't it? We let our God be way too small. And we let our worries be too big. Church, I want to tell you this morning, you need a bigger God. 
You do. You need a bigger God. You need to take your worries and your fears and you give it to him. You've got to learn, church. You've got to learn to trust him and, and, and go on your way. Go on your way and trusting in his knowledge, trusting in his faithfulness, trusting in his care. And then, church, you don't take it back. You know, for me personally, it's, it's just giving him everything. Man, that's hard for me because I'm a control freak. Saying, God, I, I want to give this all to you. So you know what, church? It's about giving him our teenagers. It's about giving him our marriages. It's, it's about giving him our finances. It's about giving him our health, all these kind of things. You know, you know, I worry. I'm a worrier this past week. I broke my phone two Fridays ago. And there's a shortage of phones, I guess, like everything else. I can't get one for two weeks. And I was going crazy. And so my wife, you know, she says, I'll be home about this time. And, and sometimes my wife's late. <laughs> and so instantly what my mind starts doing, what's wrong? Car broke down. You know, she in an accident. All those kind of things. So, so I have to figure out, I got to give it to God. You know, I worry about a 16-year-old driving a car, going out by himself. I worry, did I invest enough in my grown children so that they can raise their own families? Church, I worry. I worry about having a burden of doing the right things, of leading a church, because God's going to hold me way more accountable. I worry about, am I going to say something that... I didn't mean to say that's going to offend someone and hurt them and, and drive them away from the church. I realize, you know, I'm representing God and I want to do it right. So what I have to do is I have to give it all to him. I have to, church, and so do you. We have to give it all to him. You've got to give him the whole thing. I'm talking all of it. You give him the whole thing. Sometimes in life, the whole thing is bad, isn't it? You know, a box of Oreo mega stuff, you eat the whole thing, it's going to make you sick. I tried it. You know what? You go to get a new car, and that, that salesman upsells you and says, you need the deluxe package. Sometimes the whole thing can be costly. But church, when it comes to this, when it comes to this, God wants the whole thing. I'm talking about giving your whole life to God. It's never bad when you give him the whole thing. You know, we accept God. We receive him and say, Lord, I want you to be Lord of my life. I want you to forgive me my sins. I trust you, God. I trust that what you say is true. And we give that to him. We give him our life. But you know what we do, church, is we take some back, don't we? I want my fire insurance. I don't want to go to hell. But, you know, I'm going to take this back, Lord. I think I can handle this one. I'll take this little piece back too. But God says, no, I want the whole thing. I want all of your life. I want every facet of it. I want your friends. I want your thoughts. I want your family. I want your job. I want it all. So what do we do, church? What do we do? Three things I want to give you real fast. First one is this, you do what you can do. You know, just like if you have a big exam, you're in school, you know what? You just don't go and say, Lord's going to pass me through this one. No, you study first. And then you pray before, God, give me, give me the wisdom. Right? 
You do what you can do. The second thing is this, you give God what you can't do. You give God exactly what you can't do. Every single one of us, we've got some struggles in our life. You know, I can't do that. I can't do that. We say it all the time, right? Will you give to God what you can't do? If I can't do something, I give it to him. You can't worry it into existence. Some of us try to do that. It doesn't work. I try to. The third thing is this. You trust God no matter what. No matter what. In 11 years of preaching, man, I've seen a lot of ups and downs. I've seen sick family members. I've seen hurt. I've seen pain. And we'll pray. And we'll pray. And we'll pray. And sometimes it always doesn't happen, does it? But you know what? We have to trust him no matter what. We have to trust in his faithfulness. We have to trust in his goodness. We have to trust in his promises. Because God made all of us promises. And you have to know that they are going to come down and it's going to happen. So what is it, church, that we're going to do? We're going to trust him. I want you, just for a quick moment, I want you to imagine a life of peace. Just a life of peace. You're going to be like, that's impossible. No, it's not. I want you to imagine for a moment just a life of peace. You say it's impossible, but church, it is possible. And you know what it is? It's a choice. Peace is a choice. It's the peace of mind of trusting God. Your life can have crazy I mean, I'm talking crazy going on around it. But you can still have peace. You can have absolute peace. It's the peace of mind trusting in God. It's possible. It's a choice. So if your life is moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts today, where are you going, church? Where are you heading right now? Are you heading in the direction that God has called you to? Are you heading in that to that life of peace? Are you heading exactly where he wants you to go? So for as long as I know personally, for me personally, I've got to let my thoughts stop being dominated by negative thoughts. The enemy loves to lie to you, church. He'll tell you you're not good enough. He'll tell you you ain't strong enough. He says you're never going to have what it takes. He'll tell you all those lies. He'll say you're already messed it up. You can't go back now. You might as well just be all in. The enemy loves to tell you those things. So what is the dominant lie right now in your life that the enemy keeps telling you? What is that dominant lie? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to replace it with a dominant truth. We covered this a couple weeks ago. You replace it with a dominant truth. And I'm talking truth. I'm talking what God's word says. It will counteract what the enemy lies to you and says. And here's what you do. I told you this before. You write it, you think it, you confess it until you believe it. You write it, you think it, you confess it until you believe it. And I'm talking about truth. You do it over and over again. I want to give you some truths, right? Uh, What do I declare in my life? My mind needs to be renewed. That's God's truth, right? Jesus is first in my life. I exist to praise him and glorify him. You know, I am disciplined because Christ is in me. I'm growing closer to God every day. These are truths, church. I'm blessed beyond measure. Do you really understand how blessed you are? I am blessed beyond measure. So I write it, I think it, I confess it, and I believe it. So what is true about you? 
I'll give you some truths for yourself. You're not a hostage to your thoughts. The enemy's been telling you that for years. You are not a hostage to your thoughts. Here's another truth for you, church. The weapons we fight with are not from this world. Another truth, they have the power to demolish strongholds. That's a truth in God's word. You know, worry, church, is not your master. Worry is not your master. His peace is gonna guard your heart. His peace is gonna guard your mind. And you are not a slave to your habits, church. I don't care what the enemy tells you. You are not a slave to your habits. You are not a prisoner to your addiction. You have been rescued from the power of the darkness and you have been brought into the light as a Christian. So church, the Bible says renew our minds. So as I ask the praise team to come up here this morning and we get ready to wrap things up, I want you to know you can't control what happens to you. You can't. You can't control what happens to you, but you can, you can control how you frame it. You can control that, you know, I see God's hand in it. I don't like going through it right now, but God's doing something. Also this, you have got to stop interpreting. Listen to me. Stop interpreting God through your circumstances. You stop interpreting God through your circumstances where you're like, God, where are you at? God, I thought you were good. If you were so good, why would you let this happen to me? Stop doing that. But instead, we interpret our circumstances through the goodness of our God. Lord, I love what you're doing. I don't get it, but I love it. And last but not least, as followers of Jesus, we're to cover everything in prayer. I'm talking, that is the first line of offense. You don't wait till there's nothing else to do. You don't wait till someone else tells you that you need to do it. And then God's gonna bring you peace. The Bible calls it the peace that passes all understanding. That there could be chaos going all around you, but you're what? I'm all right. God's gonna see me through. He's gonna help me. He's gonna strengthen me. And I love where the Bible tells us in Joshua. He said, take courage. Too many times we want God to just throw it in us, right? But he's saying, you take it. You take courage and you stand up against the lies and enemies. I want to read to you one last verse before we wrap it up. And it comes from Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. I want you to hear it again. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, you present your request to God. So I ask you this morning, church, what direction are you going to? And let's even take it past our thoughts. The Bible tells us in John chapter 14 that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. I don't care how nice you are. I don't care about how many old ladies you help, elderly ladies you help across the street. I don't care about that. I don't care how many random acts of kindness that you do. The Bible says there is only one way to heaven and it is through Jesus Christ. In church, what direction are you going this morning? Do you realize that each and every one of us is gonna to have to stand before God and give an account. I didn't like it when I had to stand for the principal and tell him what I did. I can't imagine that you take your last breath on this earth and literally you are standing before God to give an account of your life. And it breaks my heart to think of how many people God is gonna look at and say, you know what? I never knew you. And that means that you never gave your life to him. 
So this morning, if you have never given your life to Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you, let today be the day that you're going to stop believing the lies of the enemy. The world wants to tell you you're okay. Everybody else is doing this. But no, God is saying you renew your mind. You give your life to me. I want the whole thing. And then what he'll do is he'll transform you into a brand new person. So if there's someone here today that need to hear that, I want to encourage you not just to listen, but to respond. You come forward. We'll pray with you. Kim, the elders will be up front up here. They will pray with you today so that you can receive what it is that God has for you. And for the rest of you believers, for the rest of you, are you anxious this morning? Because he says, stop it. Trust in me. And he will give you the peace that will guard your heart and your mind. So how about it, church? Let's stand together and let's sing. But I want to encourage you to respond this morning.